The Immortal Game is a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year and is available in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 20. Station Break. For a community that had led the nation in murders per capita several years running, East Palo Alto's police station was surprisingly modest. It was shoehorned into the first floor of a stark office building from the mid-70s that lacked any trappings of municipal pride. There was a McDonald's directly in front of the building on the corner of University and Bay, and as I came through the drive-up window, I could see the tiny stable of squad cars behind a rolling gate in a fenced section of the parking lot. I parked on the far side of the building and sat in the car while I woofed down my hamburger and coffee. I puzzled over the steady stream of people with books going in and out of the entrance until I noticed a sign that indicated the East Palo Alto Library was also housed here. The night Stockwell had brought me here from the Woodland Avenue apartment house, I was taken handcuffed through the prisoner's entrance at the rear and didn't have the opportunity or presence of mind to take in such details. I locked up the galaxy and went through the double glass doors, taking Teller's laptop computer with me. The police department was at the back, past the city council chambers in something called the community room. I pushed through another glass door with the city emblem on it and walked up to the tiny reception desk. To the right, on the other side of a swinging half door, I could see into the squad room in a maze of partition cubicles. A large black woman in a uniform sat behind the desk. She was in her mid-thirties and looked like she didn't put up with any sass. She gave me the kind of stare Hitler would get at a bar mitzvah. August Reardon to see Detective Stockwell, I said. She nodded curtly and picked up the phone. Lieutenant Stockwell, there's a Mr. Reardon here to see you, she said. She listened for a moment, nodded, looked back at me. He says to tell you that I'm to kick your ass through the McDonald's arches if you don't clear out of here in 30 seconds. Tell him it's not a gag. I really need to see him. She complied with my request, and a moment later, Stockwell came charging up to the half door from inside the squad room. He was wearing a dress shirt that had been given to him many Christmases ago with the sleeves rolled past his elbows. A striped tie that was narrower than Gentleman's Quarterly said it should be this year was knotted loosely around his throat. His hair was disheveled, and he had a twisted red plastic coffee stirrer clamped in his teeth. He looked every inch the harried, underpaid cop that he was. Come on, you, he said through pursed lips. He led me back to a cubicle where you couldn't swing a 38-inch baseball bat unless you choked up. There were a couple of metal chairs that seemed even harder than the ones in my office, and a scarred wooden desk with all the usual office junk. A picture of a very attractive woman and two cherubic kids stood to one side in a clear plastic frame. You've a very handsome family, I said, trying to soften him up. That's not my family, you moron. I brought the frame today. The picture came with it. Oh. He took the plastic stirrer out of his mouth and grimly tied a knot in the middle of it. He pointed with it at me. I'm going to give you a little lesson in the realities of East Palo Alto police work. And for once, you're going to shut up and listen. If you say so. Yes, I do. I bet you think I'm pleased to be assigned to a high-profile case like the Teller killing. I bet you think I'm putting all my time into it, expecting to break it big and make myself a name in the department. 
I bet that's what you think, huh? I guess you're looking for a straight man here, Stockwell. Okay, sure, that's what I think. Well, you're wrong. I wish to God Teller had gotten his ten blocks west in white bread with mayo Palo Alto. I would have dragged his corpse across the line if I thought I could have got away with it. A rich, prominent Silicon Valley executive shot dead in East Palo Alto is the last thing we need. Not here, not now. We already got more than we need. We got drugs on every corner. We got black gangs. We got Latino gangs. We got turf wars, robberies, muggings, knifings, and drive-by shootings with all the trimmings. We got 17-year-old hookers propositioning customers while they wait in the McDonald's drive through right in front of the police station. We got bars with blue lights in the bathroom so the junkies can't find their veins to shoot up. And we got the rest of the frightened citizenry sleeping in their bathtubs at night so the stray bullets don't kill them in their sleep. We got all that on the smallest tax base of any city in the area. And as a result, a totally undermanned and undergunned police force that can't even afford shotguns in all the patrol cars. Understaffed, I said. Stockwell looked up at me stupidly. Huh? You should have said understaffed. Undermanned is not politically correct. Stockwell threw the plastic stirrer at my chest. Fuck politically correct. Did any of what I just said register with you? Or have you been too occupied monitoring my goddamn word choice? I get it, Lieutenant. You're too busy keeping your head above water to make the teller case a priority. No, said Stockwell. I don't have a choice about the teller case. It is a priority. I've been told that personally from the mayor on down. I also happen to have about 12 other cases that are priorities, including a double homicide of two five-year-old kids. But that's not the point. The point is I'm too busy keeping my head above water to waste time dicking around with you. I thought I had made that crystal clear the last time we talked. Things have happened. Things you should know about. Look, I'm trying to do the right thing here, but you sure aren't making it very easy. Stockwell took a deep breath and let it out slowly. He folded his arms and sat back in his chair, looking me over. What's your grift, Reardon? Bishop told me he fired your ass. Why are you still nosing around the embers? I wasn't sure how much I wanted to let my hair down. I said, when I took this case, I told Bishop I had resolve. Resolve in spades. Let's just say I know I haven't played this one as smart as I could, and I don't want to walk away with the score as it stands. I'm going to see it through. Stockwell shook his head. That's putting a pretty face on it, Reardon. You feel like you've been made a fool of and you want to get even. It's that simple. Problem is, there's no one to get even with. Not really. The only thing that's left to do is clean up the mess. Find Tara McCullough and put her in jail. Any chance you had of doing what Bishop really hired you to do is long gone. Some of what you say is true, but not all. I think there's more to be done than just clean up. For one thing, there are still players flitting around who aren't in the program. You mean Nagel. For one. Okay. Let's dispense with the quilting circle chit-chat and get down to it. Just what do you have for me? Right. Exhibit 1. Roland Teller's laptop computer. I set it on the desk in front of him. Stockwell stared down at it like it was a ticking bomb. Just where in the hell did you get this? He demanded. At a repair shop, I said, where it was being fixed. Because it was broken. There's cause and effect for you. It was at a repair shop because it was broken. We've been looking all over for this thing. Teller's wife and the people at Mephisto told us he used it heavily, but nobody could locate it among his other possessions. How did you know to get it from the shop? I swiped a claim check off his body the night of the murder. Stockwell reddened and pulled savagely at his tie. That's it, Reardon. That's the I-beam that breaks the camel's back. 
I've turned a blind eye to all your other shenanigans, but tampering with evidence in a murder investigation, I'll not lie down for that. I'm throwing the book at you. Calm down, Stockwell. Don't inflate your airbag. I didn't tamper with anything, and in a way I did you a favor. The computer was at a shop in San Francisco. I can just imagine the kind of cooperation you would get from the big, tough SFPD when you called them to retrieve it. They probably would have kept it for weeks and then maybe held a press conference to toot their own horn. And there's not a thing you could have done about it. Stockwell looked at me sullenly, and I could tell I scored a hit. Okay, he said. I'm not saying you're right, but it could be that this will make things a little easier. But if I find you've so much as twiddled a single bit on this computer, I'll... I cut him off. I know, I said. You'll have my nuts for neckwear, or something equally colorful. I didn't touch the computer, but on it you'll find an email from Terry McCullough pitching Bishop's software to tell her. Aha. There's also one back from him that says he needs some proof she's legit. Yeah. Well, that was before she got to swallowing his sword. After that, he'd be putty in her hands. So you're sticking with the theory that they had an affair. What does the wife say about that? Did she think Teller was fooling around? Stockwell avoided my eyes. There we get into a little of that extra healthful SFPD cooperation you were talking about. Teller's widow lives in the city, in Pacific Heights. I couldn't get her to come down here, so I had to go up there to interview her, in the presence of a San Francisco police detective and her high-priced lawyer. Yeah, so? So Teller made some big contributions to the mayor's re-election campaign, and the mayor let it be known that the widow is to be treated nice. I only got half an hour with her, and I didn't get answers to half the questions I asked. Including the one about the affair? Stockwell ran his fingers through his hair. It didn't make it any less disheveled. She says they were separated. She says she wouldn't know if he was seeing anyone else. But you didn't believe her? No. What else did she say? Nothing more I'm going to tell you, Reardon. Now have you shot your water? You're going to pull the address where Terry McCullough's gone to ground out of your ass. No, I'm not. But Chuck Haystrip knows. Says who? Says him. We had a little uh, meeting of the minds, and I got that definite impression. It would have taken bamboo under the fingernails to get anything specific, but maybe you'd have more luck with him. That will involve still more cooperation from the San Francisco cops. They've questioned him once already, and they're supposed to arrange a meeting for me tomorrow morning. Might be a good idea to put a tail on him. Stockwell found a scrap of paper and made scribbles on it. Let me just write that down so as I don't forget, he says. Put a T-A-I-L on him. Golly, Reardon, you're good. You need a wider tie if you're going to be witty and debonair, Stockwell. Stockwell picked his tie off his stomach and looked down at it. What? What's wrong with it? Nothing. It was a cheap shot. Look, there are a couple other things I need to tell you, and they both pertain to Nagel. First off, he's still following me around. Like I said before, if we really are at the mopping up stage with this business, then tell me what's his angle. And by the way, Haystrup says he doesn't know anything about Nagel either. Second, he's flown the coop. I went down to Daly City this morning, and he had just moved out of the house he rents there, as in just this morning. Okay, I already alerted the Daly City cops about him, and they were at least a little more polite than the SFPD. I'll follow up. Thanks. Don't thank me, Reardon, because I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because it's my job. Now this is the last time I'm going to warn you. Butt out. If I find you sniffing around my heels once more, I'll run you right in. And you know I've got more than enough to make it stick. I stood up and reached my hand over the desk to Stockwell. He hesitated a moment, then shook it. 
Thanks for your time, Lieutenant, I said. I can thank you for that, can I? He looked at me sternly. You're still not having any, are you, Reardon? You still think you're going out there to tilt at windmills. So be it. Maybe some time in the sneezer will do you good. I went out of the squad room through the half door to the reception area. The big black woman was still behind the desk. I told her Stockwell would have been happier after all if she had kicked my ass through the golden arches. Her face assumed the sympathetic expression of a granite headstone. I went out of the building to my car. You have been listening to The Immortal Game, a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year. Find it in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Thank you.